This morning as we continue in the Acts of the Apostles, I, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Let me, uh, just a friendly neighborhood reminder uh, that this is church and going to church without a Bible is like trying to go bear hunting with a switch. Uh, so bring your Bible to church and uh, read along with us as we study God's Word. This morning as we reach Acts chapter 10, we've just come off a, uh, I mean, not just life-changing, but a world-changing event. Saul meeting Christ uh, as he were, was on his way to arrest and kill Christians. And now he was one, is one. And through that we see the beginning of the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles as an apostle born out of due season and God did such a mighty work We've seen the church in transition and we, we go back and we think of chapter 1 verse 8, that, that most powerful of verses that really kind of kicks off the church age, our mandate, our encouragement, our war cry. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Man, what a mission. What a mission. It began with 12 apostles and then to 120 Jews. Then as we leave chapter 1 and we get into chapter 2, we see the great day of Pentecost where Hellenistic Jews began to be saved and the gospel was being proclaimed and they were all hearing the gospel in their own language or tongue. And then we start seeing in chapter 8, as we preached a few weeks ago, a Samaritan and other Samaritans, half-Jews, being saved. Man, this was rocking their world. The gospel was going across cultural lines. It was going across racial lines and it was challenging people's upbringing. It was challenging their mindset. But here today in chapter 10 we see it change a non-Jew's life. A man by the name of Cornelius. Today I want to look at a church on mission. Y'all know I'm a history nerd. And uh, I know two people, especially, that will appreciate what I'm about to say. But in the very early 60s, the President of the United States stood up and gave a speech that proclaimed we were going to the moon. And they said, why should we waste all this money doing this? And the NAACP came against it and said, we ought to feed. Well, yeah, we should feed the hungry. And, you know, they, they asked President Kennedy why we should go. And he said, it's as that great explorer who died on Everest once said when he was asked, why climb it? Because it's there. And we have seen advancements in technology. And today, your smartphone 
holds more data and capability than the first space shuttle's computer on your handheld device. But this weekend I watched, just like it was 50 years ago, I watched the CBS coverage that just went through for two hours. Just like I was sitting there watching the news and watching Walter Cronkite 50 years ago. Because I wouldn't have been still 50 years ago. I was alive. And I do vaguely remember it. Not like I remember that day in 86 when the Challenger exploded. But I do remember. That was all the talk. The, the mission, the Gemini uh, mission, the, the whole idea of Apollo going and a man putting his foot on the surface of the moon. And unlike some prognosticators, number one, the world is not flat. I'm still undecided on professional wrestling. But number three, we did go to the moon. And you don't want to say we didn't in front of Buzz Aldrin. Because there's video footage of him taking out with his fists some people who said, y'all didn't go to the moon, it was all... But what a mission put together. Have you ever been to Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy? We went as children, my mom and dad, we, we took one of those trips throughout Florida. We went to Wikiwachi and Silver Springs and we went to the beach, we went to Daytona and we went to Cape Kennedy or Cape Canaveral and we went to the memorial to those who died uh, burning up in one capsule and we saw, we actually went in before a space shuttle ever launched and saw the first one. We looked at the tracks and how they moved. What a great mission of great minds. Uh, if you look at those footage, you saw people with uh, Martin Marietta uh, shirts on. You saw people with IBM shirts. You saw NASA shirts. You saw the greatest scientists the world had ever known. The greatest computer people. Everyone coming together for the mission. It reminds me of another great mission. A great mission of two men who were sold out to do what was right, who came together nondescript in their plain black suits and their sunglasses with an old raggedy police car. And they come together and said, we want to change this orphanage. We want to save it. We're on a mission from God. If you've not watched that movie, you're not right with God. Jake and Elroy was straight on a mission from God. The Blues Brothers. you got to go home and watch it. They were on a mission from God. The church is on mission. I, uh, well, he ought to know me by now well enough to know that I would pull something like this. We, we pray for people. We pray for the mission. And so often we come on Wednesday nights and we we pray for our country and we pray for the sick and stuff, but we don't ever have visual confirmation. We, we don't come back and say, and Wednesday night crowd will remember. I, I'll say, all right, praises. I want to hear. Take these names off the list. God has answered prayer, but we just stick them on there. We stick them on there, but we don't show God's working. Is God still answering prayer or not? In 2001, the United States of America entered what would 
be called the mission Operation Enduring Freedom. Today, uh, in, uh, in 2014, it changed to Operation uh, Enduring Freedom's Sentinel that goes today. And with American troops still in Afghanistan, it is the longest presence of the United States military in any war. They're still there. They're still fighting. The mission goes on. And we just happened to have a guy that we prayed for that just came back. Captain Brian Mize is with us today. Came all the way from Jalalabad, Afghanistan, through Bagram, uh, through Kuwait, I believe. Did you go through Ireland? Oh, Germany. Um, and then finally, later than usual, but earlier than possibly expected, he returned stateside uh, around Wednesday, and he's here with us today. And uh, I think that deserves a big round of applause. Number one is applause to the Lord. We prayed for you. I know. We sent messages back for I know, I've seen the pictures. Uh, we would chat and we would talk and he would say, hey, you got a minute to chat. And I would have to figure out because they were like nine and a half hours ahead of us. So I would have to figure out, you know, nine and a half hours, it's like I would have to start talking or send messages after I got up so it'd be for him before he went to bed. But God did a great work on mission there in Jalalabad. Not only protecting his servant, he was not only there for us as Americans, he was there for the body of Christ to preach the gospel there in the chapel in, on their base. And I'm thankful for men like Brian Mize who are serving their country, but number one, serving their God. And so when you hear all this stuff on social media, you hear anything in the fake news about not anymore, I'm going to tell you, there are guys who still have the crosses on their lapels. They still stand for right. They still preach the truth. And we've got a real live American hero sitting right here in our midst. And I believe that. Who's on mission. But his mission's not complete. Now, he may have left Afghanistan, but God's got a plan. He's still ministering to those soldiers and will continue with his, his group. Well, what about us? Are we on, listen, churches that are on mission, missional churches, do not change societies through programs, through politics. You know, winning hearts and minds, that, that whole deal. The Vietnamization of worlds where we think we can change them to be like us, sound like us, do like us, eat like us. Listen, we change the world through love, hope, and forgiveness that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not in just hope and love and forgiveness, period. It must come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus transforms life. Preachers don't transform life. Army doesn't transform lives. Local assemblies do not transform lives. They do not change families. They do not change communities. I've had people come sometimes and say, Preacher, there's nothing we can do. 
fix it. Fix us. And I feel like that king one time where they came and they said, you've got to raise this person from the dead. And he rent his clothes. He said, who am I? I'm not God. I'm not Jesus and neither are you. You can't fix your children. You can't fix your marriage. You can't fix your schools. That's why we're all going to go pray to the one who can next Sunday night. Imagine, now think about this. Imagine how many hospitals, schools, orphanages, rehab clinics, clothes closets, Food pantries have been built in the name of Jesus Christ over the past 2,000 years. That's the result of a missional church. A church who sees the need. Because I'm going to tell you something. I went to Honduras in 88. And I saw the people and we would have church and stuff. And we talked about how they were reaching people. And the missionary's wife said when they first got there, they would start a little house church and stuff, but it never would grow. Things wouldn't happen. And she got watching one day as they were sitting there getting ready for church. They saw, she said, not one, not two, but like three caskets come by that house just in a row. They were little. It was building adobe fireboxes and providing sticks and other things where they could cook some rice, some beans, and some tortillas, enough to nourish those children and families to have them alive to hear the gospel. So I don't think that's what it's all about. What did Jesus do with the 5,000 before? What about with the 4,000? What about the apostles in John chapter 21? What did He do with them? Fed them. Over and over and over, Jesus is feeding people. He's feeding them. He's feeding them earthly bread, but showing them eternal bread that will soothe their hunger. Listen, to truly be this church like Acts 10, a missional church, we have to be willing to sacrifice tradition for the sake of the gospel. Let me say that again. And I, this is probably the most non-traditional church I've ever been a part of, and I'm very thankful for it. But individually, we still have our traditions. And, and Matt, this morning, Andrew had texted me, and he said, hey, we, we've got to be out of town. Uh, Matt's going to cover the announcements and stuff this morning. And so I talked to him about order of service. He said, I think I'm just going to go and do announcements and stuff. I said, shake them up, see what comes out. I'm all for it. Roll on. We don't have to get stuck in the same old routine. Listen, that bulletin is just kind of a guideline. You hear what I'm saying? If God lays on our heart to change something, we just need to change it. We must stick with truth and not allow the traditions of men to get in the way of the gospel. Hey, when we do it, people may even call us a bunch of kooky, Jesus freak radicals, but that's all right. Here's what I mean. Look in chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Now, Caesarea was like a northern capital. It was uh, where the Romans had a great, their, their hub of leadership. 
And Cornelius was a centurion of the band called the Italian band. I mean, these, these were the Republican guard. These were the guys. Cornelius was the man. He was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Now who spoke to him? An angel. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Say that three times real fast. He shall tell thee what you ought to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Jesus, we talked about this in Sunday school, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, he often reached out specifically in the recorded recording history of the Gospels to publicans, prostitutes, and those of the baser sort. Would you agree with that? And so does the church. Oftentimes we, we see that, and the church at that time did it. However, we need to understand even good moral people need Jesus. Y'all with me? Good moral people need Jesus. Look with me, first of all. Good people need Jesus. It's hard to swallow after hearing the testimony about Cornelius in the first part of this chapter. Cornelius was a religious man, not a saved man. He was a man of great power. It tells us in verse 1 of being a centurion in the Italian band. Down in verse 22, it says, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that fears God, of good report among all the nation of the Jews. He was a very powerful man. There's a lot of people in great power that's doing great good. That doesn't make them saved. I don't know that I was going to say we're living in the age, but I don't know that there's ever been an age where in some circles there was not a presence of what has been called cheap grace. Cheap grace is easy believe believism. Now, I don't think we should try to overly dramatize. I don't think we need to overly complicate what God's Word has already said. We do not have to go through seven sacraments. We do not have to jump through hoops and do stupid dog tricks and provide so much money. We know the Bible. We've already read that in Acts. You and your money perish with you, Peter said. But this idea that we can, we can just get hyped up in the music, we can have someone... Just declare if you're 99% sure and you're 
unsure that you're lost, you just need to raise your hand, walk the aisle, put your name on a piece of card, and you're good, you're in. That's easy grace and it's no grace at all. Real grace always, always, always comes through the vehicle of the Holy Spirit's conviction, which is not fun, but needed, repentance of sin, and the inrush of the Holy Spirit changing that which was a corpse into that which is eternally alive. And it can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't earn it. You can't call it over on your children. You can't instigate it in society or culture. It is the power of Jesus Christ. Romans. Romans tells us that very clearly. And he tells us we should never be ashamed of that which is the only thing that can save us. That's the gospel. The power of Jesus Christ. Listen, he was a devout man. I've known some pretty devout people. And they're sold out. There's some really devout Hindus. Really devout Muslims. You saw it. Willing to give their life for their God. And there's 72 virgins, they think. I've seen the idea of asceticism where it's somehow beating yourself down into submission as a way of honoring God. There's religions where you climb these steps on your knees, like 3,000 steps, and the more you do, the closer to God you'll be. I saw one man who, who literally rolled on the ground for 3,000 miles, it was a, a, a Hindu who was trying to appease the gods and grow close. This whole idea, listen, the word karma should never come out of a Christian's mouth, ever. You say, that's just one of your pet peeves. You talk about it all the time. When the, when the believer stops using secular, lost people, false religion language, then I'll stop preaching on it. Deal? We do not believe in karma. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the holiness of God. That's what judges people. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a highway man, even though I loved all four of them singers. But I'm not going to become a single drop of rain. I'm not going to be a grasshopper. I'm not going to come back and work on a bridge. I'm not going to ride horses. I am who I am in Christ Jesus, created in the image of God. And I'll either be saved or lost. And I'll face God one time and one time alone. And I'll either face Him in the person of Jesus Christ at the judgment seat through His blood, as my intercessor, my mediator, my Savior, or I will stand before the white throne and I will kneel down and not get to see Jesus as Savior. That's a lot of doctrine circled up in that little paragraph right there. Listen, he was powerful. He was pious. He was a God-fearer. A lot of people fear God. But not in the reverential... I mean, it's in the... Well, I'm afraid God's going to do this. He was charitable. It tells us in verse 2. He gave much alms. I'm going to tell you, there's people who give millions. Bill Gates, he's, give, he's given billions of dollars away. 
But nothing about his life declares the fruits of the Spirit. You notice how I said that? I, I'm not his judge, but I can judge, judge his fruits. Isn't that biblical? Tell a tree by the, you know, I'll go out there to orange tree and think, hmm, wonder when the pears are coming. Apple trees bear apples. Pear trees bear pears. We need to understand that charity in the, in the giving doesn't mean anything if it isn't the charity of the love of Jesus Christ in our heart that's compelling us to do it. He was even a praying man. How many times do Muslims pray a day? Five times a day. How many times does the Orthodox Jew pray? Three times a day. Which way do Muslims turn toward Mecca? Which way does Jews turn toward Jerusalem or the Temple Mount? Devout. I've been on trips where I had a Muslim driver. And when it came time, and through the, uh, the minarets, and they would begin, listen, worst thing that ever happened to the world, it, not only the Muslim nation, but microphones. They put those microphones up there. And all of a sudden, it gets close to prayer time. You hear, and they're, they're praying through this. They don't care what they're doing. The bus stops. They know when it's time. The bus stops. Not when they hear it. When they know it's time to hear it, they put that bus in park, grab their prayer rug, grab their Koran, roll it out, lay their Koran down, get down, turn toward Mecca, make sure, and they pray during that time. Five times a day. They're praying. They're prayers. They pray. But I want you to hear something. You can pray a hundred times a day. But your prayer is only as good as the one you're praying to. How many were on Mount Carmel besides Elijah at the start? The first ones we hear. How many? 450. Greatest miracle of the Old Testament. You need to know that. 450 Baal prophets against one prophet of God, Elijah. You know how it worked out. They jumped up and down, prayed hard, screamed, calling for Baal. Oh, come and show yourself. And after a while, Elijah had about enough. And Elijah, I can see Elijah over there with his comb over. And they're saying, oh, our God's the real God. And he's wrong. And they kept on, and the sarcasm began to bubble up. And Elijah said, what's the matter? Is he on vacation? Peradventure, he's asleep. And he must be awakened. And there was about three things Elijah said, and finally God said, enough's enough. And Elijah said, enough's enough. And he began, he said, okay, that's enough. And he challenged them twice as much as what they were challenged with themselves. Doubling the water over the altar. Filling it up. And he prayed. And God heard his prayer. God sent fire down from heaven. I want to tell you something. 
You can post on social media all you want praying, but if you don't know Jesus, if you're not right with Jesus, if you're not fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ and not broken in unconfessed sins, then all you are doing is posting cute emojis and giving somebody a false sense of hope. Putting it on a chain or a letter or anything else don't mean anything if we don't get on our face before God and get it to Him. Amen? We don't pray just to be praying. We pray for God's will to change our lives. Listen, Cornelius was moral, but he wasn't saved. He was religious, but he wasn't saved. Pagan worship had completely left him unsatisfied. He had seen all the Roman worship. He had seen all the things. Now this is removed from the time Jesus is probably somewhere around 10 years. But the, the, the religiosity of the Romans, he had seen things from the Greeks and all the myth, myth, uh, mythology. He had seen the Jews and all their stuff. He had seen all the different things. And the pagan worship just left him unsatisfied. So he turned to the God of the Jews. He said, this Roman stuff's not my... I know I'm Rome, Roman, but this, this idea of Roman religion is not where I'm at. I'll tell you something. Because you're 22 doesn't mean you've got to think like every other 22 in this world. Because you're 16 doesn't mean you've got to act like all the worldly 16-year-olds in this world. Listen, young couples, because it's the new hip thing to drink and run around with the things of the world and, and, and to compromise and try to... We spend more time justifying sin than we do standing for the holiness of God. He said, be ye holy even as I am holy. God does not accept what you do. He accepts who you are. But when He changes you, He changes your wants. And if your wants hasn't changed, maybe your heart hasn't. Cornelius' wants began to change. And the things of the world left him unsatisfied. The, so he went to the Jews' religion. He turned to that. And it left him just feeling heavy and overwhelmed with all the the weight of the law, we found out through Saul, you can't do enough law. We found out from the rich young ruler, you can't do enough law, right? Didn't he tell Jesus, I've kept them all? But he didn't go away happy, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because the law ultimately cannot fulfill you. That's the other side. See, and let me, that's both sides. So number one, Love without truth is cheap grace. It's liberalism. And truth without the love of Jesus Christ is legalism. And we cannot go to either side. We remember God is holy, but God is love too, right? Right? It's not even 1130. Come on. God is holy. Be ye holy even as I am holy. God said that. The Bible tells us what our whole duty of man is at the end of Ecclesiastes. We know what Micah 6.8 says. To love mercy. 
Do justice. Do that which is right. Right? That's your life first, isn't it? I thought so. It's a good one. It's a heavy one. And so he wasn't fulfilled. But it's not unlike the world today. Back then, God was in his head, but not in his heart. You say, well, it looks like it. Listen, the world, a lot of people looks very religious. A lot of people look right and they look safe. That's the problem. We're following things that looks and sounds good, but we won't dig deep and see what the real truth of the matter really is. We get, we get on someone's bandwagon and we're willing to stand and fight with people we love over somebody we don't even know the real depth and truth of their life. Be careful who you follow in ministry. Be careful who you follow in singing. Be careful who you follow on the job. Be careful who you follow in sports. Listen, we see one guy get on his knee, and I'm not talking about Tebow or anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody in my mind. We think of one person who has done one thing. They picked up a flag that someone else threw down. That's great. That's great American, great patriotism. But I didn't care nothing about watching her go kiss another girl on the mouth with her girlfriend to celebrate after she did that. How many of you knew that? Doesn't make her a less great patriot for picking the flag up. That's the truth. See, we don't want to, this makes y'all uncomfortable. But that's the problem. We've not taught our young people. We've not taught, they ought to not get their sex education from the bachelorette. Because if you don't tell them, they will get it there. And now I'm reading articles about how the bachelorette is teaching theology. I'm going to tell you something. Someone who loves the Lord probably should have never been on it to start with. The Bible says to avoid the very appearance of evil. You say, you've just gotten personal. I'm going to tell you, that's where we all live is personally where we are. We watch this stuff, we live with them, we breathe them. Listen, it's where we're at. But notice, good people need Jesus. Good people need Jesus. And so I want you to move on to verse 9. Verse 9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the house top to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending upon him. And as it was a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down in the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air, all of them signifying that which was against the Jewish dietary laws. In other words, it was a to-go order from Harry's. It was a big old Boston butt, and it was low country bull, all of that. Honestly, all of that is against Jewish dietary law. And that's what I believe. I believe it was a barbecue picnic. It may have been just a full low country bull. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Oh no, Lord. Here he is rebuking the Lord again. Has he not learned yet? Whether awake or asleep, he just cannot keep 
his foot out of his mouth. He said, No, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done three times, and the vessel received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And he called and he asked, whether Simon, whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. And he said, Arise, therefore, and get down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he who you seek. What is the cause why I'm here? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that fears God, all that stuff, good report. Among all the nation of the Jews was warned by God, by an holy angel, to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa according to him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and called together his kinsmen and his near friends. And Peter coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped. Peter said, Peter took him up and said, Stand up, I'm just a man like yourself. And as they talked, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation? But God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Amen! Exclamation point! Praise the Lord! God just changed the races. Don't tell me it can't be done. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore what intent. Cornelius said four days ago, and he talks about his praying. And Cornelius... He said, Thy prayers heard, and thy alms are had in remembrance in the sight. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon. The whole story. Then notice verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. He preached the gospel to Cornelius. Listen today, we need to understand that a missional church, a missional church will overcome the reluctance to reach people unlike ourselves. That's hard to deal with. I like what I like. You like what you like. Right? I mean, most of you, if I said, hey, you want to have lunch this week? For the most part, you'd probably say, yeah, I'd love to. So good, let's go have sushi. And I'm out. I'm going because I like it. A lot of, most of you would say, huh, you lost your mind. But I can assure you, I'd feel the same way if you said, hey, won't y'all come over for supper? Man, I'd love to. 
we're going to have a big old bowl of chitlins and collard greens. So I'm going to eat hog innards and the stuff they ate before you killed them. No, I'm out. Not going to do it. I'm not going to eat the same stuff that they graze on. I mean, that's what's that's what Nebuchadnezzar ate when he was out of his mind. Out there eating all that green stuff, under, laying up under the moon, uh, acting like a goat. I ain't eating goat food. There's too much beef and pork and all that stuff God sent to Peter. We don't always act alike. We don't like the same stuff. Some of you, listen, my wife, when it comes to sports, I'm not, uh, listen, just different. It would not hurt her feelings if they never had another race ever in the world. Now, you're amen. I bet you don't amen what I'm fixing to say. She's the same way about any ball. Football, baseball, it wouldn't hurt her feelings if it never happened again. And she wouldn't go then. Unless it was under 80 degrees and above 70, with no wind, light, light sunlight, you know, no bugs. But that's okay, it's who she is. I like all of it. Don't really care for baseball like I used to. Don't ever watch the Braves. If you'd live 25 miles from there, when Tom Glavin sunk us the year we should have won the World Series for money and sold us out, you'd feel the same way I do. But once again, we're different, aren't we? Aren't we? You ever traveled somewhere around the world and you just couldn't eat the food? You ever been served something that it didn't come out like you thought it would look like when you ordered it? You know, you order fish and it's looking at you. You have to lay a napkin over it so you can eat it. There are different races of people around this world. If you ever go through the Atlanta airport, Kennedy airport, or around the world, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's awe-inspiring to watch all the differences that God allows in this world. There are many many different groups around this world, different races. But not just different. Listen, without Peter's willingness to reach out to Cornelius, where would the church be today? I'm talking about today. If Peter doesn't reach Cornelius, I want to tell you something. I believe I can speak almost without equivocation. Without men like Peter and Paul reaching other races, Eastside Baptist Church in Claxton, Georgia would not be here today without that willingness. A willingness to overcome a reluctance to other people and other people groups to other races because I got news for you. We are the other. We are the other. We have got it in our mind. No, we are the blessed ones. We are the anointed ones. God bless America. I'm all for that. Yes, God bless America. We're not the chosen nation. 
And God hasn't just poured out His blessings on the United States of America and never before and no one else ever again. I got news for you. I've read the end of the book. There's nowhere that America is explicitly spoke about in future prophecy. Where we do find ourselves is Gentile nations against God's chosen people, Israel. When you see the valley at Megiddo, the battle, the battle of Armageddon, now understand as believers, we're not fighting in it. We're watching Jesus fight. But we're not fighting against the Jews. That's a, 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 a national battle there. And without going into the depth of eschatology, I want you to understand something. We're different as society. Now God changes us so we become a family. But we need to understand we're the outsiders. We're the other people group. So we could never justify segregating ourselves away in some comfortable monolithic society. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lamented that Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. was the most segregated hour of the week. That's true from both sides. Other races may not want to worship with us. They may, for language reasons, for cultural reasons, but they should know and feel our love and know that they are welcome anytime. Amen? We must be willing to reach different people groups. To all nations in Matthew 28, 19, doesn't just mean that we should reach other nations. It literally means that we are to reach all people groups. When we were in Guatemala, we'd go around and they would have their traditional colors, but it's not just one. It's different tribes within the Mayan people. We dress different. We sound different than people up north, don't we? They think the same thing. You go somewhere up north and they'll say, say something. Say something again. They think it sounds awesome. We think, man, I sound like a country bumpkin. But that's who we are. Accept it. Deal with it. Be proud of it. Then there's a minute. It's better than be, you know, from some Midwestern place where you don't sound like anything. This is nondescript. They're the people who get jobs on the news. Where they just, they all sound the same. But you take somebody from Boston or somebody from Jersey, you know, and they have their own way of saying things. You know, we'd say, hey, fix me a bowl of soup. They say, hey, how about some chatter? You from Jersey? I'm from Jersey. But it's all right. I like that flavor. I bet you, I, I, Brian sent me. Some pictures where he was leading worship. There were people from Kenya, people from Uganda. There were people from all over the United States. There were civilian contractors that were there, cooks and cleaners and everything. They were from all over the world. It was Acts. It, it was the second chapter of Acts, all together in Finney Chapel, worshiping the same Jesus. Here's the deal. That's the one race my wife 
likes, and that's the human race. Not NASCAR, not drag race, not motorcycle, the human. When we cut, we bleed. When we die, red, yellow, black, and white, you'll either go to heaven or you'll go to hell. We must love them as Christ loved us. But it's not just reaching different races. We must reach different people groups. So what in the world is that? This is, there are people groups within... Well, We're all Americans, right? All Americans? All right. How many are retirement age or above? 65 or above? Raise your hand. All right. There's a people group. How many were born in 1964 or before that are baby boomers? Raise your hand. Yeah. We... I mean, do you see the difference there? How many would consider themselves a millennial? That's your, I forgot the years of that one. Uh, what is it, like 28 to 43 or something like that? Or is it the one right after the baby boom? I don't know. Then you got Gen X and then you got Gen Next and all these different things. How many, how many, Owns a motorcycle, likes to road motor, ride motorcycles. Raise your hand. Got Indian, Kawasaki, and you got a Harley. Got a Harley. Urban, what do you got? Two wheel, three wheel. Okay. How many's had motorcycles, street bikes, and stuff? All right. That's a whole nother group. That's a people. That's a people group. Listen, how many are gearheads? Me. How many are fishermen? Me. How many like to shop? Here's the deal. How many? How many plays the instruments or have played instruments or sings in church or elsewhere? Raise your hand. Okay. Here's the deal. There are different people groups. Handicapped are people with special needs. That is a people group. Artists, musicians, listen, that side of my brain don't work. They think one way, I think another. You know, people who are real artsy about stuff. and do, You know, I, I am in one way, another way I'm not. Now, there are people that are very analytical and they're, they're uh, you know, very facts and figures dotting their eyes and doing the numbers and I'm not about I'm broad stroke kind of guy. I'm a broad stroke. You say, well you need to be you need to be more like me. If I need to be more like you, well we can learn from each other. But the point is, what about single moms? There are mothers in this world who do not have a husband to help with them. For whatever reason, no judgment. There are divorcees. There are adult singles. Those are people groups. Do you hear me? Those are people we need to be looking and evaluating. Listen, college students. Out of high school, not in college, not married. That's a people group. We need to identify and love them as Christ loves them. But I want you to understand, it's widows. It's widowers. How many are first responders? Raise your hand. People group. 
That's a people group we identified in this church, and we've done a good job. We, we started a paper class. You know what a paper class is? It's a, a, a Sunday school class on paper. And we targeted first responders. We prayed over that. We started reaching them, and it birthed a whole Sunday school class. What paper classes do we need to begin by looking at the people groups in our community? Reaching people. Are we just going to go ragtag, harem scare them, whatever happens, happens? Are we going to pinpoint and say, hey, in the last year and a half, two years, we've said we want to reach people with special needs in their families. And we have just scratched the surface on that. But there's other, we said we want, to, we want to reach people groups that have young children that would be in rec sports. And so we've started back. We've had two years of the basketball. And we're wanting to add more. T-ball and other things. But listen, there are people groups that are not so appealing. How about ex-cons? How about drug addicts? Have you ever heard of a ministry called Celebrate Recovery? That's reaching the people group of addicts. They're all around us. People that you love, you just don't realize they're in that people group. We need to be identifying, not for the sake of gossip or anything else, except to love others as Christ has loved us and give Himself for How about elderly in nursing home? How about homeless? How about homosexuals? How about any kind of substance abuse? How about those who have become addicted to pornography? There's all types of social classes and there's all kinds of people groups. And we need to pray and say, God, where would you have me to go? And we need to reach them all. Now, there are many communities that we need to penetrate. This is where we come in. This is why we encourage you to get involved in the ministry of this church so that together, together, not just 19 that go to Guatemala. What about going to Kentucky? Or what about going to Arkansas? What about going to the north side of Atlanta or the south side of Savannah, what, what about in our Jerusalem? What about in our Judea? Next Sunday night, we're going to our Jerusalem. And we're going to pray, but we hope others will see, be attracted to knowing Eastside cares about their schools, care about the teachers, care about the leaders, care about the coaches, care about the students and their families. And I want to ask you, Finally, he said in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and of a truth, he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He goes on down. He gives him Jesus. And he tells him all of what God has done. And God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power. And how He raised Him up from the third, on the third day. In verse 44, While Peter yet spake these things, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. I want to ask you something. Do we have true confidence in the gospel? Do we trust the power of the gospel? Because listen, through the gospel, Cornelius and his house was saved. You can read the rest of the chapter. Through the gospel, the Philippian jailer was not only saved in the interim for that short period of time, but he was eternally saved and his whole family was saved. Is that not what the Bible says? Through the gospel, your pastor was saved. And his wife was saved from two totally different backgrounds. God brought us together to serve and to live as a couple united together as one. God, through the gospel, saved me. I didn't save myself. I want to tell you something. I didn't walk the aisle popping gum. I don't reckon I've ever signed a card. What I do know is I fell on my face and I pled with the Lord to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life, forgive me and save me. And the act of regeneration, the restoration, the remission of sins all come through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because my mom and daddy did it. Not because the pastor did it. Listen, my grandfather was a preacher. But he could have been an alcoholic for, the, for all that matters when it comes to my salvation. Don't matter. Don't matter what your past was. What matters is what God can do with your future. Amen? They were accepted into the family of God. Jews, Gentiles alike, all because of Jesus. Now I want to ask you as they come to the instruments, are we a church on mission? Well, yeah, we went on a mission trip. You went on a mission trip. Now, you helped, or maybe you didn't. Are you on mission every day? You're on mission in your home. You're on mission on the job. You're on mission when you go out to eat. You're on mission when you go buy groceries or fill your tank up with gas or fuel when it's not supposed to have gas in it. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I want to ask you something. If you're not on mission, you really don't understand all this and you figure it's just a waste of time, I want to ask you one big glaring question. Are, listen to me now, all eyes on me, are you born again? Are you born again? Have you placed your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you born again? And if you are saved, if you're not, let's, let's start with this. If you're not, listen, come take me by the hand and say, Preacher, I'm not saved. Now, I can't pray to save you. I can pray with you, but it's going to take your prayer. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must pray trust Him. Are we, if you are saved, you've not been baptized, are you really living for Jesus? 
If you're stealing from God, you're a thief. You're not tithing. When God said tithe, you said, why do you have to get on money? Because God's Word said so. You're a thief if you're not giving. And the reason I say it, you are not stealing from God. You're stealing from yourself. You're robbing yourself from blessings. of God's open doors of glory pouring out a blessing you couldn't contain. You need to be baptized. You need to tithe. And you need to be a soul winner. Are we sharing the gospel with everyone? Do you have racial handcuffs? Are you, are you against this person because they don't look like you or because they don't wear clothes like you? I'm not real crazy about stuff stuck all in people, painted up like a peacock, pants hanging down, hair sticking up. But you know what? Not my problem. Some people pull it off pretty cool. But that's just my preference. But you know what I do? I love every one of them. I can honestly say that. There was a boy that worked on our house when we built our house in Alabama. Did the concrete and stuff. And his own brother-in-law called him Tackle Box. That was his nickname, Tackle Box. Because he had so many piercings on his face, on his cheek, on his eye, all this other stuff. His brother-in-law said, look like he fell in a Tackle Box. And when he come out, everything was stuck to him. Greatest kid you'd ever want to meet in your life. I got to present Jesus to him. Great guy. Listen, Jesus loves you. And if Jesus can love you, Jesus loves them. We must share the gospel. Do we believe that only the gospel of Jesus can change our lives? Or do we think, oh, well, Miss Michelle can help fix it with our children and then they'll be okay. Well, if we just come and hear the preacher, then it'll be okay. If we just go to our Sunday school class, man, we've got a great teacher, that'll be okay. If we give enough money and we go to enough uh, funeral home visitations and we cook enough food, we'll be okay. I'm going to tell you, there's only one way. It's not a program. It's not a process. It's presence. It's the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Listen, today, He is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. If you want to have life and have it more abundantly, if you want to be free indeed, come to Jesus. If you need to be on mission and tell others about Jesus, you have failed, you have faltered, you need to be on mission, come. You need to be baptized, come. You need to be uh, repent of whatever's weighing you down, come, stand. Come, come to Jesus today.